The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The presenting sponsor of this podcast is Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name, Kevin Sheehan, and they will take good care of you. Right now, buy two, get two free with no limit, plus no money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. No coolie on the show today with Film Breakdown. He had a wrestling team commitment. Fred Smoot will be on the show instead. Cooley did say that he would be able to join us on Friday after the game tomorrow night. Let me also give you a heads up. Uh, I am planning on doing a quick 30-minute post-game show at the end of the game tomorrow night and getting that out much sooner than I've been getting the day after game podcast out. Then we'll do something on later Friday as well with Cooley uh, that you can listen to later Friday and over the weekend. Uh, But my plan right now is following the game tomorrow night to do a quick 30 to 40 minutes of a post game uh, on the game with the Bears, which, yeah, let's face it, this is a rather important game. Uh, tomorrow night. I talked a little bit about it, I think, with Tommy yesterday. It's not that it's must win. You know, I hate to look at the schedule, but with Atlanta and the Giants coming up after tomorrow night, this is such a silly game to play because they're not good enough to just assume that they're better than the next three teams they play. They haven't earned that right yet, but there is an opportunity here in the in, in the short term with Chicago, Atlanta, and New York to play in three games that are winnable. So winning two of the next three seems important if they're going to be a playoff contender this year, and I think they can be in the NFC. It is a bit wide open uh, in the NFC. I mean, the one thing to consider is that in their division – resides two of the three really good teams right now in the NFC. Maybe Detroit is a fourth really good team. Um, but after that, um, you've got you know whoever the NFC South winner is and then probably two more wild cards. You know, Dallas or Philadelphia probably snags one of them. It's early to be doing this, to be doing playoff scenarios. Um, and then, you know, there are two more. Seattle seems like a pretty good team. They're going to be in the hunt all year long. But after that, man, I mean, you know, the Giants right now are struggling. They don't have their best players. I'm going to tell you right now, don't, you know, don't chalk up two victories against the Giants this year quite yet. They've played the last couple of games without Saquon Barkley, without Andrew Thomas. They missed their center for pretty much the entire game the other night. They've been really banged up. Uh, And it's, you know, these are division games. But the Giants aren't very good. Green Bay really isn't that good. I mean, Detroit kind of exposed that. Minnesota is really bad on defense. Chicago, we're going to find out more about them. Um, The three teams other than the NFC South winner, you don't expect to be in the wild card race. 
and then, you know, the Cardinals and the Rams. I think the Rams are much better than people thought. But Washington's going to be in the mix. You know, I, I gave out 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one again, mostly with tongue placed firmly in cheek because I predicted, predicted it last year and it came true. But basically the point was I think they're going to hover around 500 for a lot of the year and they're just not, you know, bad enough going into the season to be much less than, you know, a 7 or an 8 win team and, you know, if everything breaks right, they could be, you know, a bit better than 8-8 eight, eight and 1, a bit better than 500. And I think that's what we've seen here. You know, we've seen, you know, kind of a subpar game and then a pretty good game and then an atrocious game and then a very good game. A game they lost, but man, doesn't it feel in our conversations since late Sunday, like there's so much more to be encouraged by, which there was. I think many people think they won the game with the way we've been talking about it. But if this kind of performance continues, and maybe they can even out some of the really bad moments, and look, that bad moment did come against debatably one of the two or three best teams in the NFL in Buffalo. It's very possible that Buffalo right now is the best team in the NFL since that Monday night opener. They've been dominant both sides of the ball. By the way, they get Von Miller back too. Uh, I think this coming weekend against Jacksonville in the international game. But, you know, if they're hovering, you know, in that 500 area, game over, game under, they're in the mix in the NFC for that six or seven spot when all is said and done. It might be the seven spot. And by the way, I'm not discounting division, you know, potential here, winning the division. I mean, they have not played the Cowboys, and they played the Eagles once, and it was on the road, and it went to overtime. They get the Eagles at home. They get two games against the Cowboys. I just think that the Cowboys and Eagles are better football teams. I mean, Washington went toe-to-toe with Philadelphia Sunday on their field. I don't think Philadelphia is quite now what they'll be later, although I did think that was the best I've seen Philadelphia all season long. But if you're going to be one of those teams, these next three weeks at least, you know, as they present themselves today – appear to be opportunities to harvest a couple of nuts, as Eddie Jordan once said. It'd be great to harvest three nuts, uh, but tomorrow night's the one you got to get first. And I think Chicago will come in here um, hungry. Uh, I had Courtney Cronin, who covers the Bears for ESPN. She's the John Kime equivalent for ESPN. I had Courtney on the radio show today. And one of the things I really wanted to find out from Courtney is, are we getting a team here tomorrow night that is about to implode? You know, that is 0-4. Uh, there have been issues between Justin Fields and uh, their offensive coordinator, Luke Getze. There is discussion that Matt Eberflus, the head coach, could be fired as soon as tomorrow night after the game because, for all intents and purposes, it's a mini bye week playing on Thursday night football. Um, you know, is that, are we getting a team that's basically hanging on by a thread coming in here and nobody's really interested in some of the, you know, staff that are here and they wouldn't mind a change? Or are we getting a hungry team? Are we getting a team that played their best game of the year on Sunday, albeit against Denver? Uh, and Courtney really emphasized that she felt that they were really encouraged with their performance Sunday. They felt they, you know, they gave a game away. They were up twenty-eight to seven in that game, and they lost thirty-one to twenty-eight. But that it was their best game offensively. It was Justin Fields' best game, and that there was a lot to take out of that. That was good and that they feel better about themselves heading into Washington tomorrow night. It's funny, um, Chicago and Washington both lost last weekend, both lost by three points in high-scoring games, 34-31 in overtime for Washington, 31-28 Chicago lost to Denver. Chicago blew a 28-7 lead. Uh, Washington had a 10-point lead in the first half in Philadelphia, but not a 28-7, what seemed like an insurmountable um, lead. But it seems like, at least after getting the story from Courtney about the Bears, you've got two teams coming off some of the most encouraging losses of the year. Uh, I think short week NFL Thursday night games 
tend to be very unpredictable. And we'll see. Uh, I was kind of hoping to hear that Chicago would be coming in here ready to throw in the towel on Eberflus and Getze and the whole staff and that this thing was about to to end. By the way, you know, at the beginning of the year, we talked about how the Cardinals seem to be in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes uh, position this year. And they've, you know, they're one and three, but man, they have been really, really competitive. You know, having leads against Washington and the Giants, losing those games, beating the Cowboys, being down to the 49ers 21 to 16 in the third quarter. That was a much tougher test. Um, Final score didn't look that, but it was during the game. Uh, But before the season, you know, I mocked Arizona, you know, getting rid of Colt McCoy and going with Joshua Dobbs against Washington. To me, that seemed like an organizational uh, sign that they were, you know, looking at next year's draft. Um, But Dobbs has played well, and they've played well. And so Arizona owns Houston's first-round pick in their own. And before the season started four weeks ago, the projected top two picks in the 2024 draft were Arizona, Arizona, because Arizona and Houston were supposed to be the worst teams in the league heading into the year. Well, Houston's two and two and looks so much better than anybody could have thought. Arizona's one and three. Instead, what you get now, four weeks into the season, when you look at the projected 2024 draft order, is you get Chicago 1 and Chicago 2. Why? Because Chicago has Carolina's first-round pick in the trade that allowed Carolina to draft Bryce Young, who may not have been the right pick. C.J. Stroud may have been the right pick. It's too early to tell. But Chicago... If they lose tomorrow night and are 0-5 and their season is truly over, they could be headed towards the top two picks in the draft. And even though they've got Justin Fields, and some people still believe in Justin Fields, I do to a certain degree. By the way, I believe in Justin Fields a, a, a little bit more in terms of his upside than I do in Daniel Jones. A lot of you tweeted me because Tommy presented the question about would you right now trade Daniel Jones for Sam Howell? One of the things I didn't clarify is I don't want to take on Daniel Jones's contract. It was more a player for a player. I still think Daniel Jones can play in the right setting. I do. Um, I may be in the minority. That's fine. And I don't know about Sam Howell yet. I'm encouraged by what I've seen with Sam Howell in two different games and in one game, not so much, but more good than bad so far with Sam Howell. Um, but, uh, you know, I would take bird in hand, which is I think Daniel Jones with the right team around him and the right system, et cetera, is a top half of the league starting quarterback. I don't know that about Sam Howell yet. Justin Fields, though, I still believe has a big ceiling. I do. There, I, I liked him coming out. Remember there was discussions about Washington potentially making the trade up to, to draft him. I was in favor of that. But if the Bears get to the end of the year and have the top two picks, see you, Justin, because Caleb Williams looks like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, anyway, I don't know about tomorrow night, man. I don't have a good feeling for it right now. I made tomorrow. That line is dropping. It's down to five and a half and six. It got all the way up to seven. So that's telling you that there is some sharp money on Chicago bringing it down. And I think, you know, part of it may be they they sense that Chicago still feels like it can, you know, go have itself a season or at least get back into the mix with a couple of wins. Uh, they play Washington tomorrow night. They play Minnesota at home at Soldier Field next week. You know, they may be looking at their schedule saying, all right, we're 0-4, but we got Washington, we got Minnesota, and then we got the Raiders you know, and maybe we can get back into this thing in what right now isn't a great division, although Detroit looks pretty good. Um, but tomorrow night might end that, and uh, we'll see. I, I just – tomorrow I will have a prediction on the game. I can tell you it is definitely leaning in the direction of a smell test game, and that would be a selection of the Chicago Bears. 
the public is hammering Washington in this game. And as I just told you, as of now, and I'll have more information tomorrow, there is sharp money on Chicago that has dropped that line from seven down to six and five and a half in several spots, including, by the way, my bookie, where it is minus six right now. But remember, the other day, it was seven. My bookie, they reached out to me yesterday, and they said, we want to do what we did last week another week. So 110% deposit bonus when you use my promo code, KevinDC, at mybookie.com. This is unheard of. They're still doing it in recognition of the, you know, the 2-0 start, even though they're 2-2 two two now. Um, but, by the way, the line literally just changed as I was on my, my bookie screen. Uh, Chicago's now a 5.5-point underdog at my bookie. Uh, but my bookie is offering you guys right now a chance to more than double your money. Nobody offers that. You go to mybookie.ag, you use my promo code KevinDC, you deposit a minimum of 50 bucks all the way up to 1000 bucks, you will get a 110% deposit match. That means if you put in 1000 bucks, they're going to hand you another $1100. You'll have 2100 in your account to wager with. Even if you have a site, I've told you this before, even if you've already got a spot, Take the free money. Use my bookie as a second place to comparison shop on point spreads, on totals, on money lines, on pricing. Mybookie.ag, promo code KevinDC for an unheard of exclusive offer to just my podcast audience. KevinDC is the promo code, and they're going to give you a 110% deposit match. Um, or a deposit bonus, excuse me, on your initial deposit. And yes, Washington was minus seven at my bookie yesterday, or was that Monday? They're now just minus five and a half. So um, I wanted to read a quick um, a tweet and an email to start the show. Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about Emmanuel Forbes, which I will then continue the conversation with Fred Smooth, Smoot about. So this came from Sebi. Sebi wrote, Sheehan, you didn't include in your game recap the clear false start on the tush-push play in overtime. Why? I think I did mention it, um, but I didn't obsess about it, Sebi, because as I mentioned on Monday – Everybody was cheating on that play. Did you watch that play? Like it was it may have been John Allen or Deron Payne, I think it was one of the two, had their hand underneath the ball. They were offsides. They had movement pre-snap, but Washington looked offsides. I don't think anybody was legal on that play. I mean, I don't think either team was completely legal. On that plate. Like, it can't be legal to have your hand underneath the football if you're a defensive player, can it? I don't think so. Um, I don't love that play, as I've discussed before, and I do think it will be addressed at the end of the year. Uh, this is from Messi. Uh, Messi emailed me, and this was something I think that came up yesterday on the show. I know it came up on the radio show. But Messi wrote, I appreciate the conversation about Ron's decision to go for two. But, Kevin, it's simple math. Two yards versus 75 yards. I think the answer is 75 is much harder, especially if you're gassed. That's a good point there at the end, you know. Like extended football, if you're really gassed, should be harder. Um, I, I addressed this yesterday, and I'm going to do it again, but... Just one more time, and then we are done with the two-point conversion. Although, I'll probably ask Fred about it. Um, I am very capable of understanding that two yards is less than 75 yards. Uh, Are you able, Messi, to comprehend the differences between the two-yard two-point conversion and the 75-yard drive in overtime? 
first of all, it's not always 75 yards. I mean, if the kick goes through the end zone, you start at the 25 at 75 yards to get a touchdown. It's less than that to get a field goal. It's even less than that if you decide to punt. I, this this one, I don't understand why some of you are struggling with this. Like, I know you think it's a mic drop moment. It's not. Like, these, the, these two situations are completely different. All right? First, one play versus lots of plays, potentially. When you have a two-point conversion, it's one play to go two yards. If you told me that... Uh, I have one play to go two yards or one play to go 75 yards. Well, of course I would take the two yards, but it's not one play to go 75 yards. Okay? It is many plays to go 75 yards or even less than 75 yards. And, you know, you may not even get the ball first. You may be on defense first, but whatever the point is, it's extended football. It's timed football. It's not an untimed one-play scenario. It's 10 minutes. You have multiple plays. When that first down from the 25-yard line ends and you're not in the other team's end zone, the game doesn't end. So it's just completely different. I, I think you understand that. Like one play ends the game. The other situation doesn't. And by the way, if you get stopped... The game isn't over. You punt it. And the other team then takes the field and you get to play on defense. I know most of you get it, but I'm I'm very um I'm, I'm amused by how many of you think this is like a mic drop moment. Like, you know, I appreciate the conversation, but it's simple math. I think the answer is 75 is much harder. You know, than two. Well, yeah. If we're talking about one play, it is. Um, okay, so before we get to Smoot, a few things. The conversation about Emmanuel Forbes from the game on Sunday. I know that I promised you I'd go back and look at how many times he traveled with A.J. Brown versus didn't. I can just tell you, I know he wasn't on A.J. Brown the whole game. I didn't go back and watch. I didn't. Um, And I know what what the numbers were. And I said, you know, in my game recap, Forbes really struggled. Um, There's no doubt. What's interesting is Cooley, after watching the game, and you probably heard it on Monday, said, you know, Forbes got beat a lot, but he thought, you know, it it wasn't – I forget what he said, but basically he was near the play. Like he had a chance to play – to make plays. Um Forbes in four games has been targeted 25 times and he's allowed 18 catches for a league high 356 yards per pro football focus. Opposing quarterbacks have a 124.2 passer rating when targeting him and receivers have collected 79 yards after the catch against him. So look, all of the numbers, especially the advanced numbers, do not paint the picture of Emmanuel Forbes getting off to a really good start. If I didn't know what the numbers were, I would know that he struggled against Philadelphia. I would know that there was a moment or two where he was matched up against Diggs in the Buffalo game and got beat. But I actually, overall, just watching the game, don't feel like Emmanuel Forbes has been outmatched like, it's, it's so obvious he can't play through four games. I mean, first of all, for crying out loud, it's four games. Stop. And by the way, Steph Diggs and A.J. Brown. I think the better question, and I'm going to ask Fred this, is why was he on A.J. Brown as much as he was? And again, I don't have the exact answer to that. He was on A.J. Brown a lot, and he was on A.J. Brown on different sides of the field, It's very possible, I don't know if any of you have considered this, that Jack just thought that was his best matchup with A.J. Brown because of Forbes' length and his ball ball skills, his playmaking ability. You know, and right now they've got, you know, St. Juice working in the slot, so it's either him or Fuller. I actually think Fuller, and I mentioned this the other day, I thought Fuller played okay on Sunday. Not not as well as St. Juice, but I think Fuller's been pretty good this year. 
And that's from a man, Paulie, who just could not stand Fuller last year. And we got into some arguments about Fuller last year, and I said, I think he's okay. Um, but uh, Paulie didn't. Actually, Paulie did admit, this is the 757 Paulie, um, did admit that he thought Fuller had played well, I think, a couple of weeks ago. But um, I, I don't know what the actual answer is. Maybe Fred does. We'll ask Fred. But maybe Jack just thought, this is my best matchup. Or maybe it had to do with something with the way they wanted to cover uh, you know, the other receivers. Or the run game, perhaps. Maybe it had something to do with that because there was an emphasis on stopping Philadelphia from running it down their throat like they had done in their previous two games against Tampa Bay and Minnesota. I don't know. Fred's going to have answers, I would imagine, uh, about that. Um, But uh, it's just kind of too early, I think. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not suggesting that any of you are giving up. But the criticism of Forbes, if you didn't know this, led to him... um, deactivating or actually just uh, getting rid of Twitter altogether. I talked a little bit about this on radio. Look, I, I don't like sensitivity to criticism in my favorite you know teams and my favorite players. I mean, you got to understand it's big boy football and you're getting paid a lot. And um, somebody on radio put it this morning, you know, when you get the bag, you got to put up with the nag. Um, but it's very possible that maybe he just decided once and for all, this isn't for me. I'm going to, you know, I'm off of this thing. And by the way, somebody pointed this out. It was a great point that somebody made because we took calls on this on radio today. Um, somebody said maybe it was just that he was fearful that he'd say something or write something or tweet something back that just would get him in trouble or be stupid. And he just didn't want the temptation. That's maybe, maybe, I don't know. Um, I just would ignore all of it and just the bottom line with him is he's just got to focus on becoming the kind of player that I think everybody believes he can become. I mean, Witherspoon looked amazing the other night for Seattle. Uh, Christian Gonzalez was playing great. He got hurt. I think they're going to be good with Forbes. I like some of what I've seen with Forbes so far. Look, we're living in a day and age where everything gets measured and sometimes not accurately. Sometimes, when I say not accurately, not based on understanding what the responsibility was to begin with. Um, We all saw what happened Sunday. Emmanuel Forbes had a very difficult day. That was tough to watch. Um, But at the same time, you know, like Cooley said, and I think it's a good point, I remember Doc saying this about, I forget who it was now, at corner, um... It may have been William William Jackson, although I don't think it was William Jackson. But he said, look, you know, when you go up against great receivers and great quarterbacks, you're going to get beat. Corners are going to get beat, and sometimes more than you would like. The issue is, are they there to make the play? And the other guy, just the other two guys, the quarterback and the receiver, just made great throws, great catches. There was some of that on Sunday, certainly with the Devontae Smith catch. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, That leads me to this before we get to Fred. So yesterday during Ron's press conference, Ron was asked about Quan Martin not getting any um, snaps so far this year. Their second-round pick, Quan Martin from Illinois, by the way, played with Witherspoon um, at Illinois in the same secondary. God, imagine that, secondary. Uh, last year. Illinois was actually a pretty good defensive team, but imagine Quan Martin and Devin Witherspoon last year together. But Quan Martin hasn't played at all on defense, some special team snaps. And basically, he was kind of asked about the rest of the draft and why only Emmanuel Forbes has gotten any meaningful time. And, you know, he said, well, we got guys in front of them. And Ben followed up standing with a question like, because he said something about Emmanuel Forbes just has to play. We just have to have him on the field. He's got to learn. And Ben said, well, why isn't it the same case with Quan Martin? And Ron said, well, we've got players at those positions, and they're young too. And uh, it's a good answer, good question, good answer. But um, a friend of mine texted me uh, early this morning and said, did you know that Quan Martin hasn't played and that Ricky Stromberg's barely – actually, he said Ricky Stromberg, Braden Daniels, K.J. Henry, Chris Rodriguez, and Andre Jones haven't played at all. Only Emmanuel Forbes from their draft class has played. I know Chris Rodriguez has had some snaps. And I think Ricky Stromberg's had some snaps. But, yeah, um, 
And then I just wrote back, and? And he said, well, I mean, how can you have, you know, seven picks in the draft and four games into the season, only one of these guys is playing? And I just said, are you serious? You really think we're going to have this conversation four games into the season? Like, are you insane? And then I looked at my Twitter notifications this morning, and a lot of people uh, sent me the Ron answer on this, and like, another example of Ron can't pick talent. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Is this really what we're going to do after this encouraging game against Philadelphia with a big game tomorrow night is talk about the 2023 draft class is a bust because four games into the season – Only one guy's playing a lot? I mean, that's just so absurd. I think most of you realize how absolutely insane that is to actually believe that you can evaluate the 2023 Washington draft class four games into the season. You're out of your effing mind if you're going to do that. Now, we can do that this time next year maybe. But even then, it's a little bit too early. But let's let's wait a year. I would also point out that one of the reasons that none of these other players have gotten big-time opportunities is because they have been so healthy. They just haven't had any injuries, other than Chase Young on defense anyway and Logan Thomas on offense. Chase missing that first game, everybody's been healthy. And by the way, everybody playing, for the most part, is young. Like, they were drafted, and they got their opportunities, and they're starting now. Like, what do you want to do with, you know, K.J. Henry? You want to move him against one of your young, proven, star, or very good defensive linemen? Um, I understand the offensive line guys, Stromberg and Daniels, with the issues they're having. They obviously don't think right now they're better than what they have. Maybe if one of those guys gets injured, they'll get an opportunity and prove it. Um, Stromberg got, you know, an opportunity. I know Stromberg played some plays, right? Because they had, was it Cosme or Gates or somebody was out for a few plays recently. Um, But yeah, I mean, Cameron Curl... You know, drafted, Derek Forrest drafted, seventh, fifth round. They're young players. They're starting. Would you just prefer that some of these young players, you know, would you prefer that we saw Chris Rodriguez in the backfield getting meaningful carries instead of Brian Robinson Jr. in his second year? Um, I, It's just that one, that one's, that's that's a good one. If it's a bit from some of you, you got me. Uh, All right, Fred Smoot up next right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. 
Fred Smoot coming up in this segment, a segment that is sponsored by our friends at Due South Dockside in Navy Yard. Football season's finally here. Uh, We are four weeks into the NFL season, about to start week five tomorrow night against Chicago at FedEx Field. If you're not going to the game and you're looking for a spot to watch the game, head to Due South Dockside in Navy Yard, right on the Capitol Riverfront Boardwalk. Stocked bar, draft beer, and a menu full of Due South house smoked barbecue favorites their waterside location is the perfect place to gather not only tomorrow night but all season long it's also a great place to host your next event guys the barbecue is excellent head on down do the queue at due south menus and more at DueSouthDC.com. as promised fred smoot is joining us right now Uh, I want to start with a guy who's one of your favorite players, uh, a guy who you loved, uh, shares the same uh, alma mater with you, Mississippi State, Starkville, uh, and start with Emmanuel Forbes, who obviously struggled on Sunday, Fred, but I mean, my God, like how much patience should everybody have in a guy that just started his fourth NFL game? You just said it. He's literally what twelve quarters old. Like, yes, he just got he, he got a blessing and a lesson in the same day, and it happens to the best of us, and it's going to happen again. It's the trial and error of playing that position. The one thing I would tell Forbes, and I have talked to him about this, is the one thing about the league that's different from college is you set yourself up to make plays by also protecting yourself. He's used to being such a great athlete. He can jump around guys and make interceptions, but you can't do this because people will double move you. I, I was aggressive like that. They want to double move me. Now you have to learn how to attack that going half and half with the body. So in case he does double move you, he has to run through you. I, and that's the thing about it. He has to learn how to, how to get himself out of trouble in the NFL. He has to learn rule number one. You have to you have to lean on your technique when things go away. He's so used to leaning on his talent that he has to learn how to lean on his technique when things go bad for you. Do you think Jack set him up on Sunday? <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't, I, you know what? I was shocked that he was following AJ, but I know the history that they have, Professor, dates back to Mississippi State, Ole Miss, dates back to Starkville, where AJ is from. Uh, yeah, uh, it was one of those things where I'm glad my guy was up for the challenge. He learned a lot going against AJ. He learned uh, that great receivers in the league know how to use your athletic ability against you. He's faster than A.J. He's longer than A.J. A.J. knows that. So A.J. outslowed him. So A.J. posted him up and started to play basketball with him. A.J. also played mental warfare with him, knowing that he could probably, if I can get one or two catches, I can frustrate him and I can get into his head. So he got a lesson in physical, mental, and and technique all on one day. But I'm actually shocked about this. I know for a fact it didn't happen to me my rookie year. But if it did, if I was in a situation like that, Daryl Green, a champ Bailey would have came to me ahead of time and say, hey, you know what? We're we trying to win this game. We need to switch the game plan up. Let me have this guy. I know we plan for you to have him all week, but let me take him off your plate. And I'm shocked that a guy like St. Juice or Fuller didn't go do that because then it's protecting your youth, protecting your youngster, and protecting your teammate. So it was more – it wasn't just Coach Dan Rio, which it could have been a better game plan than that, but it's also player and players. Um, Two things. One, I haven't gone back and watched specifically that part of the game, and I and I said that I would, but I haven't done it, and I'm assuming you have. He didn't yeah. he didn't travel with them the entire game. I know that there were times <laughs> where he wasn't matched up on them, but do you know yeah. or do you have a, a a decent guess as to how much of the time he did cover him or not? Uh, no, it was it was more like 60-40. He was 60 he was on them 60% of the time yeah, okay. and it, it mainly in the second half he was on them a lot of the time, and why not, you know, trust him out there, go out there and see how he measures up. I, I, I thought, actually, he did a great job of, uh, uh, he, he was there, uh, Professor, listen to me, if he, he missed an, another couple of interceptions, all right, so it's one of those things where he's right there, he's not, 
getting beat and he's not there. He's getting beat when it comes to finishing. Uh, he used to uh, receivers not contesting interceptions. He used to receivers not trying to knock down balls. And, and that's what happened in the NFL. He's there. He's just not finishing the play. The play with Devontae Smith wasn't a catch anyway, but he had a chance to intercept that ball. So that, that was a, that he's was a, a catch. It, it, that was a catch. Well, if it was a catch or not, he still had a chance to affect yes. the play and intercept the ball. That's what Cooley said the other day. He said, I know Fred's, uh, he said, I know Emmanuel's getting roasted a little bit, but he goes, I thought he did pretty well considering who he was matched up against. And, you know, like you said, like there are times when people aren't anywhere near the play. Um, so I, back to why we saw that on Sunday, other than yeah. the Mississippi, Mississippi State thing, which I don't think Del Rio <laughs> said, well, we're going to match up uh, Starkville um, against against uh, against uh, Oxford. Um, why do you think he did it? Was it was there a reason for him to do it? Could it have had to do with Devontae Smith or stopping the run game or having Fuller and, and St. Juice in spots where maybe he felt like the run game may go to and he was keeping Forbes out of the run game? I, I'm, I'm just throwing things out there. Why do you think he did that? Well, they actually run to uh, A.J. Brown's side because he's a better blocker. Right. So it, it had nothing to do with the run game, okay. I would say. Uh, I would say my perfect matchup with him would have been Devontae Smith. I mean, uh, Devontae Smith because it's Slim Reaper against the gingerbread man. <laughs> I, mean, like, I, I feel like that's the matchup that you want, and you want to get the bigger body St. Juice out uh, of technician that fuller and let him go and battle against the, 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 the chisel vet. I would have thought that would have been the matchup. So I don't know the rhyme to that reason. Maybe it was a speed factor. He wanted to get more speed on A.J. Brown. Maybe he wanted to get more lift on A.J. Brown. But I I don't know personally. It was those things like me. I matched up well against tall receivers. Sean Springs knew that. So if you notice any film you watch on us, anytime we played – Plexico Burris, uh, uh, any tall guy, T.O., I was matched up against him. Because of uh, your length. Had, because of my length and because I could play basketball with them. Right. I had no problem with them. I matched up very well with them. And maybe they want to see, was he a better matchup than St. Juice or than Fuller? But I just think this. It, it, uh, we all have a game plan, like Mike Tyson saying, until you get punched in the eye. <laughs> the question is, what are you going to do to counterpunch it? So me is, when they went into halftime, why not say St. Juice, hey, you up. You need to uh, match up with AJ. Like, I-, I thought that was what you want to do. And I know you ain't trying to lose confidence in a guy, but putting them in that situation all game long, especially when you're talking about uh, Philadelphia and, and Jalen Hurts putting the ball where it needs to be at, I think you kind of put your guy at a disadvantage. Yeah, like, I I actually mentioned this, too. Like, maybe Jack just thought with his length and his ball skills that maybe he was the best matchup for him. I mean, it could have – it doesn't mean that he was right, but when he got punched in the mouth, he maybe maybe should have had a different – a backup plan, perhaps. Um, yes, and, and that's where I'm at, Professor. At the end of the day, you're never wrong for planning anything, but you're wrong when you plan something that doesn't work and you continue to do the same thing. Uh, yeah, that's the definition of uh, in, insanity, right? I mean, you, you got to have you got to have little finger, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> ready to come in to help out to, to help out John hey. Snow, courtesy of his sister or stepsister, or actually, as it turns out, it was his half sister. Um, all you need, all you need to have a Tyrion Lannister in your pocket. You got to have one or two. <laughs> yeah, um, we needed the. Knights of the Vale to come in and, and, and bail them out. All right, so um, defensively overall, they've yep. taken a pounding from media, from fans. One of the things I've said is stop telling me they've been giving up 30 points a game. Uh, Buffalo scored on defense. Arizona scored on defense. They, yep. we, we had, after one of the tur- five turnovers last week against Buffalo, we held them to one yard, and the dude kicked a 54-yard field goal. Uh, but what was your overall thought about the defense on Sunday and the defense through four games? Well, when you when you play when when you when you're a prize fighter fighting against one of the best fighters in the league, oh, you you gonna get bludgeoned. Now the thing about it is, this team were resilient. They went blow for blow with the Super Bowl runner ups 
and made it look like we we belong on the field with you. Yes, they gonna get some plays. We gonna get some plays. They got the best offensive line assembled in football. Yeah. So getting to Jalen Hurts and, and considering that he one of the harder quarterbacks to get down, I thought especially in the first half with the offense weaponizing the run that they did a great job. But you knew eventually they was gonna start to make plays, and you knew you had to have a counter punch for it. The only thing I felt like the defense didn't do good in that game was I felt like in the passing game, we didn't – we just talked about the matchup problem, but I feel like we didn't finish plays when they were presented to us. I felt like we were supposed to turn the ball over more than we did, but we didn't. So I'm not down on the offense when I watched them play against Josh Allen, a Super Bowl hopeful, and, and, and Jalen Hurts. Like, sometimes it's all about your competition. Like, look at the competition, look at the guys we played, and think about this. And people not down on Arizona no more like they was because Arizona has showed you that they didn't get the memo about the fact that Kayla Williams was supposed to be coming there. Right. So at the end yeah. of the day, I look at the defense and say, hey, the front individually, they play well. Now I need to see them play as a organic unit. I need to see them play and rush in unison. I need to see them dominate games because they have the ability to dominate games. I need to see Cody Barton not backing up. I need to see him going downhill. I need to see more Cam Curl in the backfield. It's things that I want. I want to start to dictate games on defense, especially with this offense. The offense has shocked us all. So if the defense can get their rhythm, they can start to make plays. Is it possible that the four defensive linemen, starting defensive linemen, I wouldn't say this personally about Deron Payne um, because I think he's elite. Uh, but is it possible they're just really good players, but there's not a game wrecker in the bunch? Uh, you know what? That'll be easy to say when they actually eat off each other's plate and take stats from each other. That'll be easy to say in, in totality. But my thing is, have we seen, like, like here's what I see sometimes. I see a team that goes out there and says, hey, we got four first-rounders on the offensive line. Y'all go win, y'all one-on-ones, and that's going to be probably it. Uh, we're not going to add people to the blitz. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're not going to manufacture turnovers through the pen. We're going to do it through the players. And I think sometimes that, that sets players back. I think this group could be dominant if you find ways to force one-on-ones by adding people to the rush. I feel like you weaponize this defensive line when you actually get a middle linebacker that actually gets on the opposite side of the ball. Like, Cody Barton is taking on tackles. He's not being a hitter. And when you're when your linebackers are not fitting the gap, it looks like it's your defensive lineman, but it's your linebackers. That's just, it's called spade of spade. If, 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 if we had Bobby Wagner as a middle linebacker, I promise you, you wouldn't look at this defensive line the same way. <laughs> it's just one of those things when you don't got a key cog in there, it, it, it don't allow the other ones to meet their, their to meet their top possible output when it comes to it. So I think it has a little bit to do with the play calling and a lot to do with the linebackers in the middle linebackers. And, and I think Jamie Davis is having a hell of a year quietly that nobody's talking about. I think if we had Bobby Wagner, forget that. If we had the corner that plays on his team, Witherspoon, it'd be maybe a different. Did you see him on Monday night? No, yes, I did see him on Monday night, and he just went to the perfect storm. He went to the perfect place. His head coach is a DB guy, yeah. moving him inside. How many people take a cornerback in the top ten and slot. let him play slot? Yeah. Right, so at the end of the day, it's just him having his thing. But don't worry about it, Professor. When it's all over within 10 years and we look back, we don't be one of the people loving the fact that we take four. Don't worry. He just got his eye black. He'll be okay. Um, all right, I, there are a couple more things real quickly as it relates to the game on Sunday. Uh, I'm, well, let's just start with the offense. Sam Howell, Eric Bieniemy, because we talked last week, and it, it, was, it was a disaster against Buffalo, and it was an unbelievable 180 against Philadelphia. Who gets the most credit for how good they played, how well they played Sunday in Philadelphia? 
Well, first of all, it's 50-50 split right down the middle. Coach B enemy and Sam Howe. Sam Howe is showing you, listen, I can get in the boxing ring with them all. I'm going to go blow for blow with them. I look like I belong. You need to play to be made. Give me a chance, a little blocking, and I will make these plays. I'm getting better every game. Just give me a chance. Like, he's showing you that. It's been a long time in Washington since I would watch a game, and no matter if we went down, felt like we could, we were still in the game. He was making plays. Come on, he just played against the best D-line in football opposite of our D-line. Like, and he showed you, I'm going to sit in the pocket, I'm going to make hard throws, I'm going to make hard decisions, I will take I will take tackles, but I do love what Coach enemy did was understand that I can't physically blooding this defensive line, so I'm going to move the pocket with quarterback waggles. I'm going to get him outside the pocket. I'm going I'm to manufacture time for him instead of just sitting back and trying to go a mono on mono. So I thought it was a great job by them, and everybody wants to bring uh, – up the two-point conversion, and how I feel about the two-point conversion, and I only feel this way because I'm an ex-player, and I'm looking at it from a player totality. Do I want my players playing a fifth quarter of football on the road knowing that I have another game within four days? Do I want that fifth quarter? Do I want them to play nine quarters of football in four days? That's why I would have went on, went for two, win, lose, or draw, got out of there, Turn the page next day. Okay, that that's actually sensible, okay? Um, not that I would expect anything less from you, but let me ask you if the game, uh, if the next game weren't on Thursday, but it was next Sunday, would, mm-hmm. you, would you have gone for two or not in that spot? And, and you know what? I don't, I, you know, it's one of them things, damned if you do, damned if you don't situations. So it's one of them things, I'm, whatever my coach wants to do, I want to do it, but I, as an ex-player, I would want some logic to be in there and like, okay, do you really want to go to a fifth quarter with Philadelphia in Philadelphia? I do you want to try to catch this and ride this little momentum we got from him that shot at the buzzer? Do you want to say one more play and let's get out of here? I would have been took the short route only because it wasn't a home game and because it was a short week. But if it was a Sunday, I don't think it would have changed my mind. Let's go right now while we got them on the ropes. We just drove the ball down there on the field. They just gave up a touchdown. The morale is low. Let's try to strike them while the iron's hot. That's why I would have went for two. Can the professor just give you um, a, a couple of, of, of reasonable reasons why they should have kicked it? All right, please, please do. <laughs> First of all, I just love I love that you call me the professor. I don't know where that came from, but it's great. So, um, First of all, I'm with you, like in that damned if you do, damned if you don't. To me, there wasn't a clearly obvious right right answer or wrong answer, in part because we didn't have enough information. Like for all we know, they just didn't have a play, a two-point play going into the game that they loved. You know, if they had one that they loved... No, but you just ran that play earlier with Curtis Samuels on the goal line. You cannot tell me you don't got a play off of that. You got a play off of that. Well, that was at the one-yard. That was at the one-yard line, not the two. Okay, so – so I, that may have been a, a play that that could have been in the in the two point arsenal. But all I'm saying is, it's possible after three hours of football, they felt really good about their two point plays coming in, and then they didn't feel as good about them. But whatever. Here's my point. Here's why in the moment I said I'm okay with it. Number one was a lot of times teams will go for two. You know when they're down one at the very end. By the way, when people say they go for the win. You're only going for the win if there isn't any time left or there's very little time left. I hate when people say, well, they went for the for the win. They went for two with 50 seconds to go. 50 seconds to go is going for the lead, not for the win. Yes. Okay, that's yes. number one. But So for me, if you're an underdog and you're the lesser team and you feel like more possessions and more time favors the better team, fine, go for it. But... I didn't feel watching that game on Sunday that Washington was the lesser team. I'm not telling you that I think Philadelphia thank is a better you, thank, team. Thank, but I thought I thought this was not in the moment like, oh my god, we are we're lucky to be here. We're barely hanging with them. Let's just let, let's t- let's roll the let's let's roll it on let, let's roll the roulette wheel and hope it hits red. I didn't think that way. Secondly, and this is more of an answer that you can um, uh, grapple with is that 
I thought all of their success offensively was coming in space. I think they took advantage of a secondary that doesn't run as well as their names might say they run. And Mm -hmm. we were attacking them in space. And I didn't like the condensed field. And essentially giving the weakness of the Philadelphia defense on the day, which was its secondary, I didn't feel like giving them an advantage of not having to run was a good idea. So I was okay with the decision to kick and go to overtime. I thought they had a really good chance to win in overtime. I did. But I don't think going for two was a, a wrong answer, but that's why I was okay with kicking. The The game Thursday night, throwing it into, what if we go 10 minutes? What if we play almost an entire extra quarter and another 30 plays or whatever it could have been? Um, That's an interesting thought that I had not thought of and I had not heard expressed. And that, you know, maybe should have factored into it. I don't know. But what did you make of the professor's uh, reasons for being okay with them kicking and going to overtime? just feel like I checked into class and professor just peed down my leg and told me it was raining. <laughs> like, you gave me every excuse of why we should go to this fifth quarter with a team, like you said, we wasn't outmatched. But what I do know is, what leverage do I have at the moment? Uh, look at the moment in football. It's situational at all times. The moment is... I got them with their back against the wall. I just took the air out of the stadium by scoring a touchdown and driving the ball with one second left, last play of the game. I got them scrattled. You just said the weakness right now is the defensive backfield because they're missing a couple players, and, 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 and Slay is not playing well against Terry, and we know what Logan Thomas can do in the red zone. I'm just one of those people like, we won't have these advantages in overtime. Why? Let's get the, because when we get, first of all, we got to go out for the corn flip. They give everybody time to rest, get uh, the, the coaches on the sideline time to, to reevaluate how we're going to attack them. And, and it gives Jalen Hurts another chance to get the ball at home. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to be an option. I want to take that off the table right now okay. and say two yards. We need two yards. Maybe we need to do the brotherly shove. Maybe we need to do like, <laughs> Well, we don't do it as well as they do it. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, come on now. I just think at that situational time, you won't get a you won't get leverage like that anymore in this game if you go to overtime with Philadelphia okay. in Philadelphia. All right. I, I mean I, I again I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I I in my opinion I felt good enough about the way they were playing that I didn't want it to come down to a flip of a coin on a play where maybe it's it, it set up well and and Big Jalen Carter gets his paws on 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 the ball and it gets deflected and and all of a sudden it's just over. I felt like let's continue to play. We got a shot, uh, but you know it, it's it, there's there's reasonable uh, positions on both sides. Um, without, without the professor peeing down your leg and telling you it's raining. Oh, one other thing from the game that I hated, and I'm wondering if you've talked about this this week. The play that got them in field goal range in overtime, the third and 17, they sent six. Jack sent six pass yeah. rushers, but he played yeah. soft behind it. I thought that yeah. was a mistake. What did you think? First of all, this is what's wrong also. This is what I don't like. They play a lot of off-man sitting at seven and a half, eight yards, and giving up hitches. You allow them to run double moves. It makes me sick to my stomach. If you remember when me and my guys were here, Chef Bailey, Sean Spring, we pressed everything. Because the one thing you get when you press routes is I take the route tree out of the, the game. When I press you, they run two routes. There's a fade. That's a slant. That's an automatic check. Now all I have to do as a corner is learn how to dominate fades and slants. When you play off, I have to cover the whole route tree. That's 13 or 15 routes at any given time with no closure, with no understanding. If they go up and they press, it does two things. It makes it easier for the, the defensive line to get to the quarterback because you're disrupting this guy. You're not going up there to press and just bail on him. You're going up there to press 
to interrupt them. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Now you're making it hard to get clear throws. When you press, you also simplify, especially for a young corner, in how many routes he got to play and how he got to play them. That, that stop and go turns into a go. All right, that dig route turns into a go. Everything under uh, over seven yards turns into a go route. So I am one of those components. I want to challenge them, and I want to see them play more press man, not just for the corners, for the totality of the defense. It can change the complexity of it by getting up there and pressing. You got two corners that's 6'2 and longer. Get up there, press, and really start to disrupt some offenses out there. That was a great explanation, honestly, of press coverage and what it does to a route tree and how it minimizes the number of routes a receiver can can run and by by extension, how many the corner needs to be worried about. Uh, I don't yeah. think I've ever heard it explained that way. That was really, really good. So let's get to tomorrow night in the game against Chicago. Get your thoughts on that matchup and maybe even a prediction from you. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Fred Smoot still with us, uh, and we move now from Philadelphia on Sunday to FedEx Field tomorrow night in the matchup against the Bears on Thursday night football. I know you're familiar with this description, uh, so when I say it, um, I know that I don't need to explain it, but do you think tomorrow night feels a little bit like a trap game. You can't trap the spider. The spider can't do that to me. Like, the thing about it is, this team just coming off a loss won't be overlooking Chicago. They haven't forgot what happened in Chicago last year where we barely made it out of Chicago. They know Justin Fields can change the game with his feet, and he, hey, he threw four touchdowns last week, so you know eventually him and D.J. Moore will get that thing rocking and socket. But in saying all that, at one point, at one level, you should beat the teams that you should beat, and this is one of those teams. I No, I'm not taking anything away from them. Any pro team can beat you any week. Just ask the Cowboys. What I am saying is when you can and you do have a chance at home to make a statement and show the world that you are serious, this is what you have to do and you know they are a team trying to find their identity. They are a team trying to find their way. You need to stump them, and you got to start fast. We got to do something that we don't do a lot. We got to start fast and get them behind and make them one-dimensional. I want Justin Fields throwing the ball. I do not want him running the ball. I want him passing the ball. Put it like this, Professor. If he passes the ball 35 to 40 times, that's a victory. I'm telling you that now. It, 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 that's what I want. And you can only do that, make a team throw, if they are behind. So I'm talking to the offense when I say this. Get out there, score some points, force them to be one-dimensional, and let's end this early. That's what you have to do. That's what the good teams do. All right, we'll end it with this then. What's your prediction? Oh, my prediction Thursday night. We we start quick. We start quick. I'm actually going because we've been 30-plus. It's been a long time since we had back-to-back-to-back 30-plus games. I think that's just the, the era of the Sam Howe, the era of the Airwolf. All right, so I am <laughs> going to go 35-19, to 19, Professor. You're the best. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Appreciate it, as always. Anytime, anytime, brother. All right, that is it for the day. With one exception, I'm going to leave you with a highlight today that I found last week. I was just waiting for Fred to come back on the show. It's a highlight from a game between the Vikings and the Packers. Fred Smoot was playing with the Vikings. The game was at Lambeau. Brett Favre was the quarterback for Green Bay. It was a Sunday night football game, but Bryant Gumble and Chris Collinsworth are on the call, and during these years, it was Michaels and Madden. So it may have been one of those games that was like a Saturday night game or a holiday night game um, where, you know, Michaels and Madden had the Sunday night game, but they had, you know, Collinsworth and Bryant Gumble doing uh, the extra game that NBC uh, had that week. Whatever it was, it's Bryant Gumble and Chris Collinsworth on the call. And Smoot picks Favre off, returns it for a touchdown. You'll hear the call. You'll hear some of the follow-up. And then when they come back from commercial, you'll hear them describe what happened when Fred Smoot attempted the Lambeau leap uh, as an opposing uh, player from a rival team. All right, uh, that's it for the day. I am back tomorrow. Favre has this one picked. 
to the far side, Fred Smoot. Fred Smoot, only five to beat, touchdown Vikings. We talked about the youth on the outside. Greg Jennings never got the audible, never turned around. Brett was expecting a hitch on the outside. Fred Smoot in his zone saw it coming all the way and just an easy catch, an easy interception. And that's what you get when you deal with rookies on the outside. For whatever reason, he didn't hear it, didn't get the communication, and Brett Favre throws the pick. And just like that, the Minnesota Vikings, who have been absolutely woeful on offense all night, find themselves leading in the ball game with 5-10 to play in the third period. Following an interception return for a touchdown by Fred Smoot, they're out in front, 7-6. Start at cornerback tonight because Cedric Griffin, the starter there, is out with a stinger. Smooth picking this one off and taking it back 47 yards and getting rejected in the end zone. Well, they do it Wrigley. If you hit a home run, they just throw it back. They just threw Smooth back. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.